I had these negatives in here. I wonder what else we'll find. Hello, welcome, or welcome back to Photo Slut. I am Laura Lamb Mallet. I am a photographic artist, educator, and full time photo slut. I've got the um, Michael Swan cough, too much kissing, last episode, uh, so please bear with me on that. Um, yeah. So this is actually the first time I'm recording from my office. Well, my spare room, my attic, my office, um, which I'm really interested to see how it goes because it's either going to be super informative and inspiring or I'm going to be completely distracted throughout the whole thing and bring up really irrelevant pieces of information, um, such as my birthday card from Michael Swan, where he's photoshopped my face onto Nicki Minaj's anaconda body. Um, I can share that with everybody if you're interested. I seem to just surround myself with work by my friends. Maybe that's just a reminder to work harder, I'm not sure, but there we are. So for this episode, I am partnering with myself. Next week is International Women's Day, and I think that's the perfect opportunity for me to introduce a series of these episodes centred around the gays, G-A-Z-E, G-A-Z-E. Because every time I think it's approached, or every time I give a lecture on it, I... I have this sort of elevator pitch and I sum it up within an hour. But the last two years I've given this lecture, or not not the lecture I'm going to give today, I'm not giving a lecture today. Uh, there's, there's so much of my thought that is changing quite radically or quite quickly. And I'm very conscious of the fact that I seem to deliver it in a capsule and then ignore it or not ignore it but I you know I don't readdress really it constantly because the people I'm delivering it to you know it's it's in academia and it's you know it's part of the curriculum and you know all these all these things um so what I'd rather do and I, I'm always I'm always frustrated with it when I'm finished you know a colleague said to me uh do you have that sort of post lecture like glow of like oh I've just done it and 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 the answer is no because I'm I'm constantly, even when I'm saying stuff to myself, I'm sort of challenging myself and, you know, the, my interests move so quickly and my thought moves quickly and I'm reading a lot and I'm consuming a lot and, you know, my perception of how I view people and how I view myself and my, you know, my gender and my sexuality and all these things is constantly changing. So, no, I'm, I'm never resolved on it. I'm... I also did make the point that if I was to be resolved on it, I wouldn't be a photographer anymore because my, you know, my job would be done. I would have, I would have sorted it and I'd probably go and work in the post office because that's an ambition of mine. So today I sort of want to do my origin story, my villain origin story, maybe. Um, and you know, how I got to become interested in these sorts of things and lay it out because the, like I said, this, this, 
the gays that we're dealing with, I'd like it to be a multiple part series and I'd like it to be something that, you know, if everything goes well and the podcast takes off and, you know, we, we're here for a while, that we have lots of different voices come in and it's sort of a, a topic that we readdress, reassess, you know, we look at, we critique. I really like critiquing my own thoughts on this sort of stuff and, like I said, my cha- my thoughts, sorry, changes quite rapidly. So um, I'm happy to sort of, you know, call myself out, let's say, in a year's time and say, hey, well, why'd you say that for, you know, da 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 da. Um, I think that's really interesting. So today is just the start. We're just dipping our toes in. I'm explaining how I got to become interested in this subject, how I talk about it in my work, what influences me. And this is our starting point. This is our ground zero. So I thought that I would start by reading an extract from Laura Mulvey's Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema. And this is from chapter three, which is Woman as Image, Man as Bearer of the Look. In a world ordered by sexual imbalance, pleasure in the looking has been split between the active male and passive female. The determining male gaze projects its fantasy onto the female figure, which is styled accordingly. In their traditional exhibitionist role, women are simultaneously looked at and displayed with their appearance coded for strong visual erotic impact that can be said to connote to be looked atness. Also, I think it's important for me to mention John Berger's Way of Seeing, In Ways of Seeing, which was a book based on a BBC television series. John Berger says, According to usage and conventions, which are at last being questioned but have by no means been overcome, men act and women appear. Men look at women, women watch themselves being looked at. Yeah. From the Renaissance onwards, women were depicted as being aware of being seen by a male spectator. So, yeah. And that sort of stuff carries on. And I include those two bits of thought um, just as a sort of preface to what I'm going to talk about. And... This is how the gaze is taught, you know. If if you're talking about the gaze and you don't know about John Berger and Laura Mulvey, then it's bad news. I sort of made it my mission to break these two people down. I think I took it really personally. That was my my issue. I, I, I maybe slightly misconstrued what was being said. And I thought that Laura Mulvey and John Berger were literally personally attacking me and saying your whole existence means nothing apart from you do everything to be looked at by a man. You look, you do everything because of that, you know. And, you know, that's a lot of fucking stuff when you're 21. And, you know, what? every time I buy a lipstick, it's for a man. Every time I do this, it's for a man. It's like... Well, you know, fucking hell, put me in my coffin then because it's going to be a long 30 years going forward. It's very difficult, you know, to try and explain that, that someone's whole existence just is reduced down to effectively nothing. And then what? There's nothing you can do about it, you know? Bad. 
So trying to start from the beginning, I mentioned in a previous episode. Now, listen, you're going to have to listen to previous episodes. You need to be up to date on all of these things if you want to be in the conversation, if you want to be in the know. Because even though I'm famous for it, I'm going to try and not repeat things episode after episode. Uh, so in the beginning, I was, you know, in, when I was at secondary school, I was really interested in becoming a fashion designer. I then sort of realised that I wanted to move into fashion photography. And then ultimately, as my interest grew, I wasn't interested in creating fam- famage, what? fashion imagery. I was interested in the language of fashion imagery. And I'm, you know, I was interested in Alexander McQueen at the time. And I was sort of, my interest in the macabre was sort of coming out now. And I liked this fantasy world of escapism and and this idea that you could be somebody who you weren't in a sort of, you know, snapshot. And it was, it was fictional, but it was real and it could be documented and it could show you and, I remember a really sort of overstimulating day, I think, for me was being in my A-level photography class and, you know, shout out Parliament Hill School because we had a beautiful photography room right at the top of the old building. And I remember sitting there and we had loads of workout, da 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 And also I was listening or I was watching the Lady Gaga telephone video with, with Beyonce. And I just remember that was a real clash of excitement for me because I was sort of learning all this new photography and also you know I'm I'm consuming this woman who who really set the cat amongst the pigeons and I think yeah that was that was a super like weird moment for me where maybe something clicked in my head and I was like do you know what I could give this full throttle and, and see you know where it goes so that's when my interests really started to peak. I realised that I wasn't a fashion designer, but I was loving this language. And this language came with me sort of in my in my heart, I think, for a while. After I left school, I didn't go and do my foundation like I wanted to. I went to, I moved to the countryside and I worked in a pub, which, you know, I do think pub life was probably the best thing for me at the time. But again, another episode on that another time. Michael Parkinson's This Is Your Life. Um, So when I was in the countryside, I didn't have anything to photograph. And this is maybe where I was probably for the first time in my life, I was having a great time, but it's where I was experiencing what I would describe as grown-up depression, you know, not teenage angst or anything like that. And it's maybe the first time that it starts to show its head in my practice. And I say that mainly because, even though I say it in jest, the thing that I documented more than anything was roadkill. And it was the only thing that I could find in the countryside that piqued my interest. There were these ideas about life and death and, you know, the beauty and death and decay and rotting and you know, I probably had McQueen on my shoulders telling me, you know, that's that's the thing to do. That's that's the photograph you want, and all of these things. And I couldn't, I couldn't take pictures of sunsets. And I maybe, maybe I found some trees that were interesting, but it was definitely the first time in my life that I maybe consciously understood that I had a slightly different way of looking at the world. 
And it, it, I think it was questioned a lot, maybe. A lot of people were like, that's weird that she's taking those pictures. But it ultimately led me to make friends because people would tell me, you know, young farmers, and I ended up engaged to one, um, would say, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so's just been hit on on the A road or, you know, there's something dead over there you might be interested in. And it actually became a, a branch of communication for me in this sort of world where I couldn't feel inspired or, or you know, I, I, I think I was at a time in my life where I was, whatever I was, 19, 20, and I thought that National Geographic were going to come and knock on the pub door one day and say, listen, we're flying you out to Petra, you know, let's go. So actually, you know, in the, in all this decay and death, I actually found sort of a rooting and I found that, you know, it, I was taking pictures, I it was pushing myself out there and I think you know, as a 19, 20-year-old that has a full-time job, you know, I struggle to take pictures with the job now, let alone when I was that age and, you know, you've got this sort of devil-may-care attitude about things. But anyway, it got me out the house um, and it got me photographing and it constantly had my brain ticking over, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next? And what was next... Um, I remember I went for an RPS award, the you know, licentiateship, is that what it is? I think that they do. And we had to put this series of images together and I, they didn't, I don't know, they didn't want like a theme, but the, the images should sort of connect to each other in some way, whatever. I don't know. So I went there and I created this edit of pictures, which was basically disused pub signs and a bit of roadkill maybe and then I took portraits of the local butchers holding sort of a cow esophagus um, and the inside of the fridges I, th I think that's what I from what I remember um, or maybe that came later on no I'm sure that was that and yeah and I thought you know this is this is wicked this is I'm, I'm well in and I absolutely was not in I did not get the awards um, and they asked to speak to me afterwards. I don't really remember what they said. I think they liked the work. I think they also just wanted to check that I was, you know, of sound mind. My stepmom was there with me. Um, I was of sound mind to some extent, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, so anyway, this led me on to, you know, realising that I sort of needed some sort of formal education or structure in photography, and that's not me saying at all that, you know, you, it's integral to have education as a photographer. That's not it. But for somebody like me, I need structure. I need structure so I can let the chaos of my brain, you know, run riot. I like it to sort of, you know, I suppose that's a lot of what this podcast is about. I have to put out episodes at certain times. I have to organise people to come and speak to me. Therefore, the content of it is able to be a little bit more, blah, 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 you know, all over the place. Anyway, enough about my business pitch. So I realised I needed some sort of education. So I decided to apply for uni. Uh, I only mentioned that because after I took the, the butcher's portrait, we had an assignment where we had to take a self-portrait over the summer and we presented it on the first day of uni. And my self-portrait was a pig's brain that I got from the local butchers and I suppose 
maybe, I don't know, this is projecting, but maybe there was that sort of Damien Hurst about me that I sort of wanted to see people's reaction to, to identifying as a pig's brain or whatever. But I, yeah, that, that was my self-portrait. I thought it was super interesting. Anyway, I thought it was super interesting until the absolute moment where I had to present it and I thought, oh, shit, I've, I don't know what I've done here. But anyway, it went down a storm. Um, and it definitely solidified to me, and I think my, my lecturers at the time, that I see the world slightly differently. So, as much as I want to give a sort of timeline and say, you know, this happened there, this happened then. What I want to be able to do is a sort of running commentary, you know, my style. Um, so I will sort of, I'm going to talk about what was going on at the time for me, but I'm also going to give a sort of reflection on it now, only because I think it's really important with, you know, I can talk about how angry I was during my BA and now I can reflect on it as, being an angry early, you know, in my early 20s and, you know, being told X, Y, Z. So it might jump around a little bit, but everything sort of relates to where I'm at now. So hopefully it's going to make sense. But um, as it was so long ago, to help me through my understanding of my BA, I hope you can hear this in the background as well. I've decided to get some of my sketchbooks out so that I can look at them and hopefully it will give us a more authentic idea of where I was at the time. So this was a still life project and what I've got written here is unconventional, taboo, grotesque, weird, bizarre, violence, sex, gore, birds, crow, magpie, cruel, death slash life, time, memento mori, that's a classic, that's a classic first year, second year BA isn't it? Uh, unconventional human fascination, unpleasant. I hadn't been prescribed antidepressants at this point. For my still life project, I am in, extremely interested in breaking down the conventions of a typical or traditional still life or formal arrangement. I will be exploring death, capital capital D on death, and the concept of memento mori. Study the way death or loss is presented as a beautiful and inevitable concept despite the taboo surrounding it. Explore different methods used to preserve de the dead through art and how different artists approach a subject. We are going to get on to female representation, but would you, oh, here we go. Okay, yeah. So this is a spread of um, Dolce & Gabbana adverts of nude women wearing keychains as jewellery yeah did I make this collage oh no, no I didn't make the collage it was there already oh and now we've just got both of the following images are arrangements of sex toys photographed in the British Journal of Photography I can't recall the photographer because I just ripped them out quickly how interesting so I think well, I'm not going to go through it. Oh, Joel Peter Witkin. Joel Peter Witkin was my awakening into it's okay to be really fucking odd, you know? it's a, Be odd as long as you execute it well. I think that's it. That's almost going to be... I might as well actually stop the podcast because I think that's it. 
be odd as long as you can execute it well. So moving forward through this, I can see through all of these pictures, I'm talking about the same thing. It's death, it's sex, there's a lot of nudity, there's a lot of violence and all of this sort of stuff. Ah, uh, yes, okay, now we've I obviously visited the butchers again. Lots of pictures of a dead lamb that I found that was, you know, one of mine. Um, yeah, okay. So I remember at the time being, ex there was a lot of voices and I, I felt this real frustration around the idea that I was learning how to take all of these images that I'd been obsessed with when I was younger that are, you know, very sexual fashion imagery and aspirational for me because they were dangerous and they were close to the line and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And then the more I was learning about how to take them, and I think I went to uni because I wanted to learn how to take them, I was, un you know, I was studying a lot of theory and basically my world came crashing down I was now in a place where I felt technically capable of, of creating these images and simultaneously being told why they're bad. And, you know, my taste in imagery is being demonised and being villainized, And I'm sort of struggling with this idea of I have come to an age where I can, you know, this is not now, obviously, this is, you know, 21, 19, whatever I was. Uh, no, I was 21, where I feel more set in my gender identity and my sexuality and I'm ready to sort of take the bull by the horns and create this imagery and I have an understanding now of what it is to be a woman in the world and and actually, you know, that's being completely ripped to pieces and I don't have an understanding of feminism. This is how I was made to feel. Uh, I was dangerous by sort of promoting objectification and relishing in, the, in in all these ideas and and the more I was being told no the more I was fighting against it I had this you know unquenchable thirst within me to to, to prove that what I was talking about was right and it was valid I just didn't understand how to do it um and it was really difficult. And I and I remember being told at the end of my third year, you know, that I, I probably should go on to postgraduate study. And, you know, at the time, that's the last thing you want to hear. You want to go and, I don't know, go to a full moon party or, or whatever it is. Find yourself in, in Vietnam on a tuk-tuk, you know, that's what most people want to do, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, I, I, I left and I went to work in a pub. But there was definitely something that was nagging at the back of my head that, you know, I wasn't done. I wasn't finished. And my photographic career, I think when you're in third year, feels like, you know, this is the crescendo. This is it. You're in third year. You know, you're superstar, rock star. Everybody wants you. You know, they come to your openings. They, you know, they want to see this. You know, what are you doing? And for me, I felt like I was putting out work that, you know, some of my work was at, behind a, a, a room that had a sign on it that said it wasn't, you know, for for 
it had like explicit imagery and it was upsetting and, you know, children be warned or, or whatever. And there was, I was fighting with this sort of feeling within me, which is I wanted to be the enfant terrible. And at the same time, I wanted to be congratulated in in you know in just sort of a happy sense as a in the way a young person wants to be patted on the back and and I was but I still felt misunderstood I still felt misconstrued um yeah so I left and I came back oh I went to live in Italy and then I came back and I did my masters um so flash forward I am waiting for a cab to take me to my interview at Bauer Rushton for the MA in Bristol uh, to meet with Aaron, Aaron Schumann, the person who took all my brain insides, uh, took them out, ironed them all out and then packed them back in, in a way that I could understand them. It's a fantastic service. Uh, so shout out Aaron for that. Um, and... I pop my portfolio down and I show him my work and, you know, it's a mixture of my third year work um, and then some bits on the side that I've done as well. And I remember him saying to me, you're interested in porn culture, porn culture. And I thought, yeah, I I think I am. And it and it was the first time that I think that I'd spoken to somebody in a in an academic setting or maybe not even in an academic setting, where I'd shown them my work, they weren't shocked by it, which was great, and they really understood what was behind it, that it was a lot more than just, you know, wallpaper, which had sort of it'd been called before, and there was maybe some threads of real interesting thought and discussion and exploration. So yeah, shout out Aaron for that. I'm hoping that I'm going to big him up enough that he's going to come on the podcast. We'll see. But yeah, and it was the first time I think that I felt that I could talk about my work in a way where I didn't feel guarded and I didn't feel like I was on the back foot. And, you know, shout out to him for being a man and being able to do that as well. I also feel like I want to mention that I was wearing a jacket that had a badge on it that had a dog on a skateboard that said doggy style, which I thought was really funny. I, I probably wouldn't have worn that if, if you know, when I'm presenting this work, but um, in hindsight, it, it makes me laugh. I'm looking at the sketchbook now from my MA um, and I had this I had this word or this phrase in my head that was later to become my work new erotica but it started as this phrase called erotic misbehavior and I don't know why so looking into this sort of mind map here I've got erotic misbehavior what does it mean why is a bullshit quote more empowering than porn and then I've written that out sex or is it I think for this first project I looked at positive affirmations um, and I will put these up on Instagram because I still think that they're really funny and I basically this idea of taking something that was traditionally cozy and sweet and feminine and these positive affirmations and then putting them over 
stock porn imagery. That was that was the premise of this. I really thought I was groundbreaking. I've got a little insert here that I've stuck into my sketchbook that says 24 self-affirmations. And then over the top, I've written fuck off. Yeah, still hadn't been given antidepressants at this point. Anyway, so what I was really keen on doing here and think proving to my lecturers that it wasn't shock tactics. There was thought and, and it just needed to be like pulled out of my brain, you know. It's a lot of Jeff Koons work here. It's a bit weird for me. But there we are. Um oh we're back to the negatives. I don't know what these negatives are of. Oh I do. And what are these doing in here? I've been looking for these for ages. Anyway, okay, we'll put those to one side for now. So yeah. Um, I printed out these postcards and I sold them and I really loved them. I thought they were absolutely great. Um, yeah, I was really interested. I was looking at a lot of people using text. And I think one of the reasons that I wanted to start the podcast is, you know, it's really interesting if you're a visual artist to rely so much on giving people all your thoughts and interest and emotion just in some pictures. And I don't mean just in some pictures in that sort of way, but, you know, we love to have the conversations and, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the episode with Mike and I'm still reflecting on a lot of the stuff that he's talking about and a lot of the stuff that he's saying. And, you know, he's a fantastic artist and his work is beautiful, but listening to him speak, you know, there's so much more. We don't just have to be photographers. We don't just have to let our work speak for us. So, you know, really looking into text and looking into all these bits and bobs, super interesting for me. Um, and then I talk about some work that I'm making about uh, the relationship with my dad. And this is sort of, I suppose, sensitive work. This is not, well, maybe it is the female gaze as well, because this is the first time that I'd ever tried making work that wasn't um, aesthetically, or, or maybe it wasn't something that I'd conjured up from my brain about how I felt about being a woman. But I suppose it did s still talk about the same sorts of things. So I, I took these images of me and my dad and I'd overlaid them with things that were really important, you know, that we shared between us. So pictures of Ferraris and text messages that we'd shared between us and then for some reason when I was working on this sort of work I couldn't stop thinking about um, Ayrton Senna the Formula One driver's crash um, and I think I was making this link in my head between you know the fallout of my relationship with my dad and this and this tragedy and you know his death and how it was sort of publicized and but how it really had an effect on people all over the world. And it's still something that's spoken about a lot today. And I don't know that there was something that I just couldn't get out of my head about it. I was thinking about it all the time. And then when I approached one of my lecturers and spoke about it, you know, he sort of said, lean into it, but maybe don't take the aesthetics of it. And I think that's a really interesting, you know, lesson to sort of learn about following your instincts, but just because you follow your instincts doesn't mean that it has to be, you know, something that you include in your final final work. Um, the end of this sketchbook is really where, you know, I kick off. <laughs>
Okay, so at the end of this sketchbook, I have a mind map again that says, where do I go from here? Erotic misbehavior. And I think, you know, this is obviously why it was designed like this, the MA. But this whole sketchbook that I've just taken us through seemingly is nothing to do with, you know, female representation in within erotic gaze or, you know, a sexual gaze. But actually, it was massively about informing me as a multifaceted artist or a multifaceted person, you know, you don't have to, work doesn't exist in a vacuum, you know, you, you, you have to explore everything. And that's not to say that, you know, erotic imagery or imagery of a sexual nature, it's not always two dimensional. You know, there's a lot about our sexuality that is incredibly deep and interesting. And yeah, it doesn't always have to be reduced down to sort of pornification pictures or page three of the sun. Equally, there might be nothing wrong with that sort of stuff. But, you know, that that's that's a, that's another podcast episode, page three of the sun. But yeah, it's probably a lot of people that won't understand that. Um, a lot of people. How many people do I think listen to this? It's probably just my mum and my dad. Um, but yeah. So anyway, back to this mind map. Uh, where do I go from here? Erotic misbehaviour. I've got um, moving image, inspiration from fashion films, no commercialization. Then I've got how can I recreate my ideas and narratives in the studio? Lighting is important for hiding and revealing. I love pin-up sex appeal. Wrong? Question mark. Objectifying? Question mark. Old school? Question mark. And I've surrounded that with photocopies from these old picture-goer magazines that I bought at a flea market, April 14th, 1956. And uh, I was really interested in um, just the aesthetic of it, I suppose. But I was getting to a point where I was I was interested in why the aesthetic was appealing to me. So I've written aesthetic and moral contradictions. Male gaze, does it still exist? Question mark. Do I use it in my work? Question mark. To my advantage? Question mark. I was really questioning. Traditional or heteronormative femininity. Something overly sexualized. Can't read that word. And then. Uh, something breast bum usually appealing. Don't know what that means. Uh, but I've also included some adverts from this magazine, which is a packet of old cigarettes and Bristow's Lanolin Cream Shampoo. Keep summer hair supple. Interesting. Um, yeah, and then over that article... This one's from 1953, sorry, and I, I stick another article and some more adverts in. I've got some pictures which are very sort of hyper-feminine, pink, dreamy, aesthetic, uh, Ariana Grande sort of. I think this is probably around the time that um, God is a Woman came out. It's looking that sort of way. And I include uh, an essay which I will link called What Do Women Want? Obviously, it's written by a bloke. Uh, and I sort of, I think this piece of writing was actually really in, important to me at the time. It talks about this woman, Meredith Chivers, who is a creator of bonobo pornography. She's super, super interesting. And she's, you know, talks about bonobos and female sexuality and all of this sort of stuff. 
I probably can't go into the, the whole article now, but it's really, really interesting. And she says she's been looking at um, sexuality, female sexuality in the scientific area uh, for 30 years. And she says she still feels like a pioneer on the edge of a giant forest. Um, and then I'm talking about the butterfly effect by John Ronson. And this was a time in my... Well, I've actually written here... This podcast was life-changing with arrows to um, the butterfly effect. Really mad, really, really interesting. And I think it's it's great when you're looking at a subject to be able to weigh up different views and opinions. And this is definitely something that did for me. If you haven't listened to it, The Butterfly Effect is a podcast by John Ronson about the consequences of Pornhub becoming free and, you know, loads of porn just being uploaded to the internet for free um, and the pornification of culture. Super, super interesting. You don't have to be some sort of sex craze maniac to be interested in it. It talks about so much about culture and it touches on all edges of the planet. Really, really interesting. And I think I just I, I just get more and more riled up everything in this sketchbook becomes more erratic the highlighting becomes more erratic um, and I definitely was on the precipice of wanting to to sort of lose my mind and there, there had to become a line which I drew in the sand I remember being told early earlier on which is I will lose my uh, authenticity and I'll lose my power if I just sort of get angry about what I'm being told and not harness it and really buckle down and learn theory and subvert all of these societal norms. So from this, I begin to shoot what ultimately becomes new erotica. I stretched my wings I really you know shook my feathers out and I created something that I'm very pleased with the way I describe new erotica is I say that I wouldn't describe myself as a scopophiliac which is you know somebody who gets sexual arousal from viewing imagery but like most people I take a lot of pleasure in looking maybe too much my practice is forged from a deep curiosity within me and a questioning of the assumption that, as a woman, my whole perception of sexuality and the erotic can merely be a product of the patriarchal society and the patriarchal gaze. Like many other women, I believe that my many other women, hmm, I believe that my instinctual wants and desires are much more than that, and this is underrepresented. New erotica is a body of work aimed at addressing the complicated relationship between desire, narcissism, and arousal. It is an exploration of female representation and sexuality, an infusion of the traditional with the contemporary, as both an inclusion and subversion of societal norms. My pictures are of women, for women, by a woman. Essentially, the project combines everything I know about erotic imagery and mixes it all together, squeezes out a pace resembling my own perception of female sexuality. My work intends to spark the beginning of a dialogue in which female sexuality can be discussed in a more productive and progressive way. Oh, with a cough, let me tell you. That was something. So when I'm talking about the reclamation of objectification, it's about this 
higher understanding of use and and what I choose to do with myself. And I, you know, when I give this lecture, I have a picture of me that I took in the studio when I was creating new erotica. And I've got this sort of leather black skirt on and I've got these snakeskin high heels on. This is turning into some sort of my dad wrote a porno style thing. And I explain when I'm giving the lecture that I took this picture, but it's, and I took this picture of myself, but it's not me. This is the decentered self. This is nothing to do with me, but physically it's my body. And I am consensually objectifying myself. I put this picture up on display and I've put it in my book and I want people to look at it in a reductive way and just see, you know, the figure of me in this skirt and these high heels and it's a fantasy of this person that's sort of bent over a chair and I really enjoy the image for what it is. It's not a comment on, you know, who I am, what my name is, what my star sign is, what books I'm reading. It's nothing. It's reductive. It's just, for want of a better word, a sex object. And I have the intellect and the understanding, and I suppose, you know, in some respect, the privilege of being able to do that to myself. And when I'm working with these sorts of ideas, I'm very, very tight and close on the models that I work with. I have um, my friend, I'm going to go as far as to say Muse, in a lot of respects, who I've been photographing since we were about 15 years old, so sort of 15, 16 years. And it's important for me that when I work with somebody, that they also have that same understanding of, you know, how the images are used, or they have the same interests as me, and they can consent to you know, using their body or using their image in a certain context. And, you know, I think it's especially important. And I sort of touched on this before when I was giving this lecture and, and it was something that had started to come to the surface of me thinking about um, these sorts of things, which is she's a she's a young black woman. There's now another conversation happening here of a white woman photographing a black woman in a sort of maybe sexualized space. And and it's important that we don't reduce each other down to these types of things, but we take them into account and we have an understanding and a cultural understanding of the power and the dynamic and the responsibility that is at play throughout all of these things. And it doesn't mean that you have to tick these boxes and that you have to, you know, be be fearful of creating imagery without this type of understanding and intent, but just making sure that you pay everybody their dues, you know? I'm, I'm conscious to not just make this completely about me, but I do want to talk about a, um, an artistic, a photographic, uh, duo, partnership called the London Vagabond who I discovered a couple of years ago and I've been following their journey and you know really enjoying their development and, and what's been going on over the last couple of years where they're sort of you know taking over the world which I, I love um, but I remember sort of seeing their images and really feeling 
this sort of shred of responsibility or or guilt come off my shoulders and I realise now that I'm looking back on it I they make these really beautiful pictures that can sort of be objectifying or super intimate and they're telling stories and they're observing you know the kink community or there's, there's they have such a plethora of talent in, in how they communicate with people and document people and understand people and when I was looking at these pictures this feeling of being able to really enjoy and relish in the aesthetic and like the narrative of it. And it's like, when I'm saying this, I'm like clenching my fists in and out because it's sumptuous and I really could like sink my teeth into it without this responsibility and and guilt of wanting to consume something, but, you know, knowing that it's tainted with this objectification and a sort of commercial sense, whereas because they're so good at what they do and because they're so immersed in the scene and they're so, you know, communicative and all of that sort of stuff, they're sort of just taking you by the hand and showing you this world that you can sort of just fall into and, you know, relinquish control over, which I really don't think that I'd seen before because the only sort of super... I suppose, you know, I think I think they cite one of their their sort of inspirations as Iraqis, same as me. But, you know, there's still that sort of barrier that they don't have that sort of intimacy of of, you know, enjoyment. I'm not sure. Maybe that's something I can unpick, you know, a further further date. Maybe one day they'll come on here. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so there are definitely some people that I wanted to, to shout out in terms of um, beautiful imagery that I indulge in regularly. So I have this quote that I want to talk about. Um, and this, this is from the sort of re-up of my lecture. Like I said, you know, they change constantly with my thoughts and my progression. So I sort of need to document all of them. But um, the question that I posed in my most recent one was, given what we know about the spectrum of gender and sexuality in recent times, does the gaze still apply to mainstream culture? Now, I have this quote here that says, cinematography is such a beautiful word, so simple, so clear, so full. The sound of it invokes right away what it is about, a language. I would rather consider the wide range of cinematography's variations and nuances as the richness of the human being's sensitivity, subjectivity, not necessarily split into two worlds, men and women. Why should it be two different languages? And that's by Agnes Goddard. That's what really was, you know, what sowed those seeds right there in the beginning of that sort of, you know, early BA work that I was doing, which was, I couldn't understand this reductive idea of men looking, women acting, shout out John Berger, you know, for me, it's not, it's, it's something that I'm aware of, but it's not something that I believe to be constructive and helpful to my practice going forward. You know, there's, if you look at so many, this is a bit of a sideline, but if you look at so many sort of ancient and older cultures, there's a lot of words for, you know, a spectrum of gender and a spectrum of sexuality. And then we've sort of had this rewrite 
of you know the binary and now it's apparently a new idea you know in terms of the 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 media with the sort of demonization of wokeness that that sexuality and and gender are a spectrum well of course they are you know and if we if we're so you know up and about this sort of stuff then why are we still talking about the gays in this really reductive way of you know a binary sense and also we're talking about the gays now beyond gender and sexuality. We're talking about wraith and wraith, sorry, wraith from Lord of the Rings, race and ethnicity. You know, when we're talking about the gays, we're talking about a heteronormative white Western viewpoint. You know, and, and, and what about you know? There's there's so much more to it than that. There's so much more to play for. And um, we're talking about you know, we talk about a lot of feminism and all this. So many different thoughts that I, I probably can't even get into now because we don't have the time. But we're doing it in this Western bubble when, you know, we're so self-centered, we're so self-obsessed that, you know, when I sort of talk about a lot of Japanese photography that's really influential to me and then there's like super harsh critiques of, you know, Iraqi's Tokyo Lucky Hole and, you know, people who perhaps don't have the understanding of you know, and the cultural significance of shibari and it's it's offensive and it's, you know, objectifying to women and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And there's so much of a weight of an argument, but I don't know, maybe I'm talking myself in circles here. Maybe I'm just hyping myself up for the next episode. But yeah, there's definitely a lot to sit on and a, a lot to really, you know, break down and be interested in. Um, if you are interested in it, if you're not, then, you know, obviously skip these episodes going forward. But um, yeah, and I'm super aware of the fact that more so than normal, I'm just throwing, 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 throwing ideas out. But this is sort of the second first episode, which is me just laying down some ideas, you know, putting the patio down and we'll put some nice tables and chairs and some little cocktails and, and whatever, because I really just want to throw some ideas out there and build up from there um, in the future. So hopefully uh, through editing and some miraculous magic, I have made sense of my ramblings from today and it is a successful episode. But, you know, as always, if you don't think it is, sound off in the comments, let me know, please get in contact with me, um, I love it, I really do, honestly, and, you know, please come for me, if you think I've got something wrong, you don't like what I say, please, I love it, I love the challenge, I think it's super interesting, you know, change my mind, I'm super open for it, the only thing I ask of you is please come with receipts, please come with research, don't just tell me I'm wrong, because you know. Um, so yeah, I really hope you enjoyed today. Like I said, this is going to be the first in a series. I think the next one is going to be around, I think June, if off the top of my head. And that's a special one. And I'm really excited for that one. Um, but yeah, so please do get in contact with me um, on Instagram, aka photoslut and uh, email is akphotoslut at gmail.com. Please tell your friends and please leave a review. I think that's something I'm excited for. Don't slate me in the reviews though. If you don't like it, don't leave a review. But if you love it, please do. Um, 
and yeah i really hope you had a good time i hope you've enjoyed it and i'll see you soon